How are we? Good, good, good. Doing good here in Canton, Jasper as well. This is the weekend that we start meeting every other weekend in Jasper, and that's exciting just to see what God is doing there. And uh, in the beginning of the year, the new year in 2018, we'll start meeting every week. And so it's just been really amazing to see what God is doing there as a part of our Multiply initiative that we started at the beginning of this year. And in fact, the series we're starting today, the series of messages uh, around the topic called Mobilize, is us digging deeper into this Multiply initiative to look at what are some specific objectives that we are trying to accomplish over the next few years when it comes to this theme, this goal that we have to multiply as a church. And so I'm so excited, man, and it's hard to understate. I'm as excited as a mosquito in a blood bank, right? Like I am just excited. That's a good redneck joke for you uh, if you don't know what that is, all right? Um, but I'm really excited. And again, the word excitement almost feels like it's too shallow of a word uh, to use because it doesn't always convey the meaning, right? But, but really, I'm, I don't know if I've ever been more excited about the vision and direction of our church. Um, a couple months ago, our pastors went away on our annual retreat, and we just prayed and talked about everything that we felt like God wanted us to do and accomplish for the next two years. And so this series of messages over the next five weeks is going to talk about what we're trying to mobilize our church too. Now, to better understand the definition of that word, what, what do I mean when I say mobilize? Let me give you the definition of it, all right? It's here on the screen, and this is what the word mobilize means. Mobilize is to organize and encourage people to act in a concerted way in order to bring about a particular objective. I like this definition too. Make something capable of movement, and so the idea of the word means we're trying to organize and encourage people, you might say equip people, to act in a concerted way to accomplish a particular objective. I was talking to a, re a retired colonel in our church earlier today, and he was telling me about this word mobilize and, and how it's used in the military. It's a very military term. And the idea of mobilize is bringing things together. But he said, you never think about mobilizing without also thinking about the word deploying. He said, we mobilize people in order to deploy them. And he said, that is a military term. And I said, you're exactly right. And that's exactly what we're trying to do as a church. Trying to mobilize people to train them up and then send them out or deploy them. And that's what this whole series is about. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it because we've got the verses here on the screen. And if you don't even own a Bible, we would love to give you one for free as our gift to you. Right after the service is over, you can stop by Next Steps and grab one for free. But what I want us to see in Ephesians chapter 4 is this verse. I think it's a key verse on what we're talking about when we talk about mobilize. And when we say mobilize, remember the definition is to try to accomplish a particular objective, what we're setting out to accomplish. And when we went away on this retreat a couple months ago, we laid out five objectives as a church that we want to mobilize people to so that we can multiply. And so over the next five weeks, I'm going to be hitting these objectives. I'm going to hit one today, and then over the next four weeks, I'll hit the others. And these objectives are what we're trying to accomplish in 2018 and 2019 as a church. And, and they've become so foundational for us that we've even reorganized our entire staff around these objectives. 
Our entire pastoral leadership team now is organized around these five objectives. And so we've got these five things and we've got a pastor over each one to accomplish them in the life of our church so that we can see these particular objectives accomplished by mobilizing us to accomplish them. And that's exactly what Ephesians chapter four says. So let's jump in. We're gonna look at verse 11 and 12 first, unpack it for a little while, and then we'll move on. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11, uh, chapter four, verse 11 and 12 says this. And he, being Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now look at verse 12. I highlighted it. This is important. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, when it says he gave, again, it's talking about Jesus. And the word gave there means to give as a privilege or to grant uh, or assign a task to benefit others, to grant as a privilege. And so Jesus, who's the senior pastor of the church, not just our church, but every church, it says he gave these five groups of people to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so he gave, and it's, and it's a privilege as a pastor and teacher to have been given this ability, this ministry by Jesus. It's a gift. And so really, you ought to see it as that, like we're a gift to you, right? And um, uh, if you don't see that, then we can talk after service. But, but the point is this, that when Jesus left, when he went back to heaven, he gave leaders in the church to equip people to do what he saved them to do. Now, when it says equip the saints, we're not talking about New Orleans saints here, all right? We're talking about all believers. But there's been kind of this prevailing thought in the church world literally for over a thousand years. Because when the, uh, the church was born, when it came together after Jesus ascended into heaven at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit flooded the earth, the church was born. They were being mobilized to multiply because Jesus told them in Acts 1-8 to you know, go into the ends of the earth, literally to move out, to multiply. That was their command. But around the uh, 300 AD, a couple hundred years after that, when Constantine became emperor, he was saved and he baptized the whole Roman Empire and he created the Catholic Church. From that point until about 1500 AD, there was kind of this prevailing thought that you had to leave the work of ministry to the professionals, to the pastors, to the priests, to, to the teachers. And in fact, during that time, and this is like a foreign thought to us, they didn't even have printed Bibles because the printing press was not invented until the 16th century. And when the printing press was invented, the very first book they printed was the Bible. And that's what the word Bible means. It means book. And at that point in time, this really this revolution happened where now they're trying to get Bibles into the hands of people. And so for about 1,200 years, the thought was, no, you don't need a Bible for yourself. You can't think for yourself. You, you're, you can't be equipped to do the work. You gotta come and, and, and see us do the work, the professionals, kind of the priests, and, and we'll do the work, and, and you come and support that. And then this fundamental shift takes place, which we're coming up on the 500-year mark now to where, no, 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 no. The idea is not in the church that all the professionals do it, but the pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, they equip people, the saints, to do the work of ministry. 
And a saint is not someone who dies and is godly and has got a statue. Right? Like that's how we tend to think about saints. You might have thought your kid was a saint for a little while until they grew up and started saying mine. Like, no, they're not a saint anymore, right? But sainthood is something that happens after somebody dies and kind of the prevailing thought. But that is not what Paul says here. He's not saying, hey, equip those that have died to do work. Well, that would be crazy. So who are the saints? You know, the saints go marching in, right? Sorry, it just came to my head and I just started singing, right? The saints, now check this. The saints are those who have trusted Jesus. Now, this is what makes the gospel so scandalous. This is what makes the gospel so amazing. See, when I trust Jesus, I'm admitting that I'm a sinner, I'm admitting that, that I have sinned, that there's nothing good in me and I need to be saved. So I'm a sinner. But when Christ saves me and the Holy Spirit enters my life, I, at that moment, become a saint. At that moment, the Bible says, I am justified. I am made right before God. And so I am simultaneously a sinner and a saint. I have been saved, been justified, I've been made perfect before God. I am right before God. But the gospels also say that we are being perfected. That's called sanctification. So you got justification. It happens instantly. I am made a saint. And this is what, again, this is what makes the gospel so amazing. So when God sees me now, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the perfection of Jesus. He says, oh, that dude's perfect. That dude is a saint. Now, I know that's a foreign thought to us. You're like, no, no, you're not a saint. No, I'm admitting I'm also a sinner. But in God's eyes, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, I have been made perfect. I am a saint. I am pure. And so when the Bible says equip the saints for the work of ministry, what he's meaning here, what Paul's getting at is, listen, that's anybody who's trusted Jesus. Anybody who has trusted Jesus The goal of these apostles, evangelists, prophets, shepherds, and teachers is to equip them, empower them to do the work of ministry. Now, this word equip means to reach the fullness of. Again, you think about the idea of mobilize. We are mobilizing. We are training you. And then deploying you. And I was, when I was talking to this colonel, he's you know, talking about this military term. Everybody in military terms understands that. Everybody that signs up, that enlists, understands that they're going to be trained and deployed. They're going to be mobilized and sent out. But I said, you know, it's so sad. That is not how we think about church. We don't think about church in those terms. That we're here to be trained up and sent out. But that's exactly what Paul says. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. See, our job as pastors, teachers, evangelists is not to do the work. We are not professionals. And it, you, know, you don't have to hang with me very long to realize, oh yeah, no, I know that. But our job is not to do it, but to equip and empower you to do it. Now, before you think this is some kind of Ponzi scheme where we're like, I see what you're doing, pastor. We're paying you to pastor us and you're gonna equip us to do the work that we're paying you to do. That sounds like a grand plan for you, right? No, that's not what we're saying here. 
What we're saying here is our job as pastors and teachers and evangelists is to empower you to do what God put you on the planet to do. The work of ministry, that is what we're trying to do. Why? Because that is when you know why you were born. I've heard it said, and I can't remember who said this, the two most important days of your life is the day that you were born and the day you figure out why. That's our job as pastors and leaders is to equip and empower you to know that because God has made the human heart in such a way that it finds its fulfillment in doing the work it was made to do. This is why we feel so good in service. This is why we feel so good in giving our lives away. All of us want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. All of us. And that something bigger than ourselves that Paul is talking about here is the work of ministry. See, we can get so like isolated and silo thought, uh, you know, and we just kind of think that God's not doing anything good in the world. In fact, I just encourage you to, to just give up watching your favorite news program for just a month and get out into the world and see what God is doing. And I promise you, your attitude will change. Because if you just kind of stay in your own world and read your, well, I don't care what news it is, Fox News, CNN, whatever it is, whichever one that you read, you just kind of like, oh my gosh, the world is you know, going crazy. And yes, it is. But when you get out into the world and you see what God is doing, you see how God is working, not just in Canton, not just in Jasper, not just in Woodstock. He's working all over the world. He's a global God. And, and, and when you take a trip to Haiti or the DR or, or, you know, we're taking clothes right now, we're collecting clothes and we want you to bring those back. In February, a team from our church is going to Kenya to distribute the food that that clothes will buy. And when we're going there, we're going up to the northwest corner of Kenya in a town called Ludwar. And you think, where in the world's Ludwar? Nobody knows. Not even Carmen San Diego, right? Like it's just way up there. But, but when you go there, I, I haven't been there yet. I've been to Nairobi. I'm going in February. But when we go, you know what's going to be amazing? God is working in Ludwar. He's working there. He's working there through the ministry of serve, through other things that God is doing there. And it amazes me every time I take a trip outside of my context, I get more confidence in God because I see you're working all the way on the other side of the world. You're a global God. And the, the reason why most of us never experience miracles and seeing joy like that, it's because we don't ever move out into the world to do work. We just get so focused, so isolated. And so the goal of our church is to mobilize us and deploy us to accomplish these specific objectives that I'm going to lay out for you. And my promise to you is this, the more you're empowered and equipped to do the work of ministry, the happier you'll be. That's what's amazing about God. So at the end of the day, this whole series is about your joy. This whole series is about tapping into what God is doing, not just through in and through our church, but through the world. And, and that's why as a church, we're partnering with things outside of our church because we want to be a part of what God is doing. 
One of the greatest Bible studies I did right after I became a believer, it's an old school one. I even ask people now if they've done it, and a lot of people haven't. It's a Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. I would highly recommend it to all of you. It's older now, and it's you know, over 20 years ago, but one of the phrases that he said that I'll never forget, he says, see where God is working and join him there. See where God is working and join him there. And as a church, that's what we're trying to do. Where is God working? Where is God doing things? And how, how can we equip and mobilize people, train them up and send them out to accomplish that work? So when we talk about these five objectives, what we're saying is everywhere we multiply as a church, like gremlins, right? You just put water on them, them jokers multiply. That's what we're trying to do as a church. Multiplying into Jasper, multiplying into Woodstock, multiplying into Kenya, multiplying into Haiti, multiplying all over the world. Why? Because Jesus said he's going to build his church and the gates of hell can't stop it. So, so let me ask you a question, church. If hell can't stop us, what can? Christians who sit and aren't equipped to mobilize. That's the only thing that can stop us. Us not taking seriously the command to be equipped and empowered to do the work of ministry. So as we drill into these five objectives over the next five weeks, what we're saying is this is what we want to multiply in every campus, in every church that we multiply into all those cities. So let me give you these five objectives. Not, not all five, sorry. Let me give you the objective number one. We'll get into the other ones over the next few weeks, and then we're going to jump right back into Ephesians chapter four. Here's objective number one. Objective number one as a part of mobilize, what we're trying to mobilize people to is spiritual development, spiritual development, what we would call our grow process. You know, our vision is simple. It's not simplistic. And what I mean by that is it's easily communicated in that it is love Jesus, grow people. Our church is about Jesus and it's about people because people is what Jesus is about. And, and grow is a process, gospel, relationships, obedience, works. That at the core of everything we're trying to do as a church is what we're trying to equip people to do, to spiritually develop or to develop spiritually, to grow. And so as a church, we're saying, that is the core of everything we're trying to do. In fact, you'll, you'll see some, some logos and stuff multiply the X that we laid out this year. You'll, you'll see these five objectives communicated as a part of that. And at the center is spiritual development because that is the core of what we're trying to do. Everything else that we do comes back to that process, which is why it's our vision. And it's just our way of communicating the command to make disciples. So as a, what does a church exist for? It exists to develop people, to grow people, to make disciples. That's what we're about. And so we're coming back around as a church to say, you know what? As we multiply into Jasper, as we multiply into other places, ultimately the goal is, goal is not a building. The goal is people and growing them because that's the church. It's spiritual development. Now jump back into Ephesians chapter four. Amazingly, Verse 13, the verse right after verse 12, you know, it goes 12, 13, um, really hits at this. And, and what's amazing to me, it's, it's one long run-on sentence. 
And, you know, I write things a lot here for letters and stuff that go out, like our quarterly giving statements are going out this week, and I write a letter for that, and I just don't like writing. And every time I write, I write run-on sentences and Barb and other people correct it. I'm, I'm like, listen, I'm just trying to be biblical because the Bible has long run-on sentences, right? Um, and, and this is one of them. Look at verse 13. A little tongue-in-cheek there, Barb's like, no, 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 you need to be, you know, correct, right? And so look at verse 13. It starts as a continuation of verse 12. That's why it's not capitalized. Until equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Ladies, don't be mad at that. It just means personhood, all right? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Now let's stop there for a second. The sentence still continues on. We'll hit the next verse. But he says this. It's interesting. It says, until we all attain the unity and the knowledge to mature manhood, to the, listen to this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Three ofs. So he's talking about maturity and he's talking about measuring have you noticed it's hard to measure maturity? Now, it's not hard to measure physical maturity. When our kids are born, when my son was born, he was two weeks early because he was born at seven pounds, three ounces, and they said they gained a week, uh, a pound a week their last few weeks. So we took that joker early, right? And so he was 7.3 pounds and 21 inches long. And the reason how we knew he was 21 inches long is because they put him on a table and measured Right? Like, this is how tall he is. How, well, we talked about long because he's laying flat. And now we talk about tall, right? And so this is how tall he is. And both of his grandfathers, Lindsay's father and my father, have a spot. My, my father-in-law has it in his house. My, my father has it in his deer camp, which is much more important than his house, right? He's got this, this place, and both of them have this, and it's like, it's always the trim on a door. I don't know why. They have this, the trim where they mark, okay, at two years old, you're this tall. At three years old, you're this tall and put the date on it. Four years old, you're this tall. And if you've seen my son, he's rather gargantuan. And so he's gone, he's shot up pretty fast in both of those places. And you look at that and you're like, oh yeah, this age you were this tall, this age you were this tall. And, and it's important to see that because you can see, oh, you've grown this much in the last year. And then you kind of project out. And so my son, the projections are saying 6'3", six, 6'4", six, which is the exact same that doctors projected that I would be. I'm now 6'1". I didn't make it quite to 6'3", six, 6'4", six, which is why I say I'm just short for my weight. All right, I don't have a weight problem. I'm just short, right? Because this measurement, you know, a little bit bigger, but this one is supposed to have been taller, right? That was certifiable. I don't know what happened in there, right? But I'm just short for my weight. But, but the point is, it becomes a unit of measurement. We can see, okay, you're this tall, then you're this tall, then you're this tall, then you're this tall. And that's how you know you've grown. But here's what he's saying. This is so interesting to me. He's not talking about physical maturity, physical manhood. He's talking about spiritual. How do we know that? Because he's talking about to the fullness of the stature of Christ. See, Christ was both God and man. So the goal is not to be six foot two like Christ, right? We don't know how tall he was. The goal is to be 
spiritually mature like Christ. But have you noticed that it's much harder to measure spiritual maturity? It's much harder. But the Bible says we are to do it. We are to develop, mature to the measure. So that means we measure maturity. What's the, the primary way we measure maturity? The Bible says you will know them. In fact, Jesus said you will know them by their, you may I guess, their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. See, it's hard to measure it, but here's what we should be able to see. We should be able to see we're more fruitful right now than we were at this time last year. That's how we know. We benchmark it. And what is fruitfulness? Galatians 5 says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So I just turned 39 this year. And the hope is that I'm more fruitful than I was at 38. And, and really, I'm, I hope I'm more fruitful than I was at 29. And then at 19, right? Like, I'm hoping that every decade that goes by, I can see, yeah, I'm more loving. I'm, I'm slower to get angry. I'm quicker to listen. I'm, here's a big one. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm quicker to forgive. See, when we start talking about spiritual maturity, you still have to measure it. Because if you don't measure it, how do you know that you grew an inch? Now, I say this often, and, and Zip and, and Corey and I on Thursday, we went down to south of Atlanta uh, to Roberta, Georgia. If anybody knows where that is. And we're, we're looking at working with the camp called Camp Grace. It's a camp for inner city kids. And so we drove down there on Thursday to see how we can partner with them. And as we were driving down, we were just joking about maturity. And I say this often, I'm like, yeah, I thought I would be way more mature at 39, right? I, I just thought I'd be way more mature because when I was 19, I thought 39-year-olds were so mature, right? Uh, let me say it to you like this. When I did student ministry, I was like, oh, I can't wait to be with adults. They're so much more mature. And now I do adult ministry and I wish I could go back to childcare, right? Because at least when a two-year-old acts out, everybody knows. But when a 39-year-old acts out, right? Really, you're like, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. You're, you're not nine anymore. So we got to measure it. And the goal is that the longer we follow Jesus, the more we're becoming like him. That's the goal. And, and this is going to be a profound thought to you. But when Jesus said, come follow me, you know what he wanted you to do? Follow him. I know that's profound, man. That's why you come here because you're like, hey, it's profound, pastor. Right? Like I am giving you deep insights here. But you know what I've found in Christian world? People want to believe Jesus with no idea of following him. People want to claim to know Jesus with no real commitment of following him. But, but listen, I'm not trying to induce shame on you. Uh, please hear me. What I'm trying to say is the goal of the church is to help you mature. That's what we're here for. To help equip you for the work. How can you do the work? You got to be trained 
You got to be developed. And if we're in a spiritual work, don't you think it's important to be spiritually developed? We got to measure that. Well, how do we measure that? He goes on, look at the rest of verse 14 and 15. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So here's what he's saying. Spiritual development is ultimately about thinking rightly about God. Spiritual development is growing up into the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ, our head. How do we do that? He says, we have right doctrine. We have right beliefs. We're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that has come. Can I just tell you something? Any teacher that has come on the scene since Jesus that is saying something new ain't from Jesus. It ain't from Jesus. When he uses the word apostles there, the key to being an apostle was they had to be an eyewitness of Jesus and taught by him. That's how it happened. Lived in the time of Jesus. So there are no more big A apostles. There's still an apostolic function in the church. Looking forward, kind of future focused people. But when it comes to apostles, big A apostles who are on board with writing scripture, those people have been dead a long time. So any new teaching that has come online since then is not from him. But, but here's, here's the great indictment on us as Christians. We know more about our favorite football team than we do about the scriptures. Now listen, I know where I am. I'm in the South, man. All right? I know. I grew up in Texas. I mean, football's a big deal in Texas. You ever seen Friday Night Lights? It's for real. But we know more about the stats and the players and the coaches and the touchdowns and the scores about our team than we do know about the scriptures. Now, is it wrong to watch college football? No, it's just wrong to put your hope in them. Amen, right? Because they're going to let you down. <laughs> but, but here's what I'm saying. We've got to have a commitment to think rightly about God. How do we think rightly about God? We know his word. We're not tossed to and fro. See, what's happening here in America is people are believing that the Bible says something that it doesn't actually say. And this is happening in churches. Fundamental orthodox beliefs that have been sincerely held beliefs for almost 2,000 years. People are saying, that, nah, that's not what it really meant. And if we're not developing spiritually to know, see, Jesus said this, my sheep follow me. Why? Because they know my voice. They know my voice. Let me ask you a question. Do you know his voice? When he speaks, can you say, that's, that's, that's my shepherd. You say, how do I know his voice? You know this book. It's amazing. This book has words in it. 
And those words came from the one who spoke them, which was Jesus. And they just wrote them down. So when you read those words, you're reading the words that came out of the mouth of your savior. And so when you read that, you will know his voice. You will recognize it. But see, we have a lot of people who have claimed to know Jesus because they've raised their hand or walked an aisle or got dunked, but they're not following him. And so Jesus went that way and they went this way. And then we kind of create this category. So are they saved if they're not following Jesus? To which I would tell you, I don't know. I don't know. We've created this weird dichotomy that we can know Jesus and not follow Jesus and feel like we're saved. You know what the Bible says? You'll know them by their fruit. So if a seed goes into the ground and it never grows fruit, it's either one of two things. You're bamboo and you're taking a while. Right? You know the bamboo, you plant it in the ground, don't see nothing for six, uh, I think it's six years, and then like 60 days they grow, 60 feet or some junk like that. I'm not a botanist, so don't hold me to those numbers. But the point is this. It may take a while, but at some point, you're gonna see some growth. And so I would just rather not, not play with fire and be like, oh, I love Jesus and not follow him. I would rather, no, if I love Jesus, I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna do what he says. And how, how am I gonna do what he says? I'm gonna know what he says. See, the job of the church is to equip you to develop spiritually, to grow, so that you're not thrown around by every wave that comes, every new form of teaching. This wind is like, ooh, isn't this awesome? Just give it about 20 years and see if that's what we still believe. Because if you found that to be true, oh, I got this new teaching. And then about four months later, it's done. Well, thank goodness I didn't jump on that bandwagon. Why? Because what's been written in this book has been the same for thousands of years. And here's the thing. No matter what our society says, when we're dead and gone, dead and gone, it's still going to mean the same. The difference is, are we going to believe that it has the power to grow us? See, Jesus in Luke 8 talked about the parable of the soils. I think it's more a parable of the seed because the point is the seed went in and the seed grew fruit. And so what we're dealing with here, the power of God purchased on the cross by Jesus, that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit enters into your heart and then he starts making some changes and things start growing and you start maturing. And before you know it, you're a foot tall and two feet tall and three feet tall. And now you're not getting as bitter as you used to. Now, when someone you know is mean to you, you're more loving to them. You're more forgiving to them. You're not so quick just to let cuss words fly out of your mouth. You're quick to forgive. You're quick to give. You're quick to serve. You're quick to pull over and help someone in need. You see what I'm saying? It's measurable. You can see, man, I am, and, and this is the greatest truth of Christianity. I am not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And listen, I, I thought I'd be more mature at 39. But you know what I can say? I'm not as immature as when I was 13. Praise Jesus. 
praise Jesus. I am not as immature as I was then. I'm not as mature as I want to be, but I'm not as immature as I used to be. And that's the goal of the church. Let me give you this quote by A.W. Tozer. I think it's one of the, just I mean, it's by far probably his greatest quote, although he has a ton of them. It's not on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. This is what he said. He's a pastor for a lot of years. He's dead and gone now. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people have ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do. Listen to this. But what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that, that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. More importantly, what I want people to say about Revolution Church is not that it's big, it's not that it's growing, it's not that it's fun, it's not that it's cool, but they think rightly about God. That is the most important thing about us as people and about us as the church is to worship God rightly. That's why we do these worship nights. This is why we've got one coming up next Saturday. I would highly encourage you all to come. Jasper and Ken, come next Saturday night. Let's worship God. Let's think rightly about him. And so as we develop this kind of spiritual life, this process of becoming more and more like Jesus, we will see change. Why? Because he makes it grow. Let me give you this last verse and we'll be done. Verse 16. It says from, the word there from is a preposition of source. If you, around here a lot, you know I like prepositions. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Now listen to this, I love this. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love this. From, preposition of source, the head, Jesus. See, the head is what makes things grow. We know that, physically speaking. The head, the brain, is what controls all of that. And what the Bible is saying is the head is Jesus himself. And so Jesus is going to make things grow. You know one of the things that I love the most about the gospel? One, obviously, that I'm in right relationship with God and I will see him. But you know the other thing that I love the most? which makes Christianity utterly different than any other religion in the world is that he's going to make it happen in my life. The beauty of the gospel is not just that he saved me, but he is sanctifying me. When Jesus in Matthew 4 called his first disciples, he said, come follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. So let me ask you a question. Who does the making? I was a softball man. Come on, in Jasper and Canada. Who does the making? I just told you who. Jesus, all right? 
Jesus said, come follow me and I'll do the making. See, here's the awesome thing about following Jesus. You just follow him, you stay near him and he will make you to be like him. All we gotta do is follow. All we gotta do is hang with him. All we gotta do is stay in his word. And as we do that, he will make us. See, the problem with a lot of us is we try to make ourselves and we can't. But here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. God never asked you to make yourself. He never asked you that. He just said, you abide in me and my word abide in you and you will bear much fruit. So the good news when it comes to spiritual development is you just hang with Jesus and he'll make you more like him. He is the one who does the making. He is the one who does the growing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 that he planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So let me ask you a simple question and we're done. Where are you in the process of spiritual development? Where are you? Have you even trusted Jesus yet? Man, that is step one. You can never grow fruit if the seed hasn't gone in. If the Holy Spirit hasn't been planted in your life, then you're not saved. You say saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from yourself. Saved from an eternity without God. That's step one, trusting Jesus. So if you haven't taken that step, that's your first one. Next step, baptism. We're doing baptisms on November 12th. That is your first act of obedience. That's saying to the world, I have trusted Jesus. Then the next step is getting connected in a local church, being part of a group, joining a team, serving. Again, being equipped, trained, and sent out. So very simply, where are you in this spiritual development process? As a church, what we're saying is not that we've not been committed to this, but we're putting it back on the forefront and saying 2018, 2019, this is what we're more committed to than anything. Because healthy things grow, healthy people grow, because God will make them grow. And so for you, wherever you're at on that process, you can take a step today towards being more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not only saving us by what Jesus did on the cross, but by empowering us with the Holy Spirit to change and grow. Thank you that you didn't just save us and leave us alone, but you're making us grow into maturity where we can see a measurable difference from where we were when we first started to where we are now. And God, we may not be where we want to be, but thank you that we are not where we used to be. But God, there are some here today listening to my voice that they've never started the process. They've never trusted Jesus for the first time. They've never been saved. And so God, if they want to grow and change and become the best version of themselves to know why they were made, to exist on mission with you. It all starts by knowing you. So I pray right now you'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. We're not trying to embarrass you. This is 
between you and God. But if you wanna trust him for the first time, ask him to save you, ask him to forgive you. Then it goes like this, pray, God, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sins. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Would you grow me to be more like Jesus? Now, nobody looking around or talking. Again, if you just prayed that, it's not, it's not the prayer that magically saves you. I, I'm just introducing you to God. That's your confession. It's the confession. It's the belief that saves you. And so if you just prayed that, the Bible says you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. So if you just prayed that with me, the Holy Spirit has saved you. We want to know that so we can celebrate with you. So right there where you are, again, nobody looking around talking. If you just prayed that for the first time, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Lift it up just for a second. We've got some men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. And when they do that, you can put your hand down. So some follow-up resources there is a Bible, a connection card. If you can fill that out and give it back to us, that way we know uh, it was you who made that decision so we can follow up with you. Thank you. But then those of us who would say, you know, I've trusted Jesus. I'm just not growing. Again, the reason why we're putting this objective, this spiritual development, while we're putting it back, uh, not that it wasn't at the core, but we're highlighting the fact that it is the core of what we're trying to do. The reason we're doing that is so we can come alongside you and equip you to do what God put you on the planet to do. And he didn't put you on the planet to be perpetually enslaved in sin. And so there is freedom found in relationship with God and relationship with others. And so our goal is to come alongside you and help you. So I don't want you to feel guilty today. I want you to understand that God is way more committed to you becoming more like his son than you are. And so if we will just continue to submit ourselves to this development process. The promise is if we water it, if we put sunlight on it, God will make it grow. And we'll look up a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and we'll be so pleased with what God has done in our life. So let's not have regret. Let's abide in him. Let's know his word. Let's listen to his voice. Let's follow him and watch us be changed into being more like him. Father, again, we ask for this. We ask that as we submit ourselves to you, you would not only save us, but you would change us. You would grow us. You would make us more mature so we could see a measurable growth in our life. Yes, we want our church to grow numerically. We want more people to know Jesus, but we also want our church to grow spiritually. People following Jesus and looking more like Jesus. So we ask that you would make that happen. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you get out of here, let's give it up for those who just trusted Christ, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So exciting. And I'm telling you, like I said, I was excited about what God's going to do through Mobilize. So make sure as best as you can for the next four weeks, be here as we talk about these objectives that we're trying to accomplish as a part of our Multiply initiative. 
And as always, if you need prayer or somebody to talk to you, we got response team people, men and women that would love to pray with you, help you with anything that we can. All right. We love you. We'll see you next week.